my name is Autumn Dixon, and this week is September 19th through the 25th, and we are going to be in Isaiah. Now, for this week, we see more prophecies regarding the second coming, and I want to read about one in particular, and it is talking about a giant earthquake that will, that will occur before the second coming of Jesus Christ. So this is Isaiah chapter 40, and it is verse 4. It says, Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. Now, this is a literal thing, a literal earthquake that is going to be occurring. And I want to give a little bit of science lesson about earthquakes. <laughs> and stay with me, because some of these details actually come into play later on in the lesson. So, the earth. The earth is made up of these jigsaw puzzles, giant, 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 giant jigsaw puzzles of land. And they're called tectonic plates, the puzzle pieces. And these plates are constantly vibrating and moving around and running into each other. <laughs> so sometimes what happens is these two plates are moving around and they have very rough edges, obviously rocks and, you know, earth. And they'll run into each other and they'll get a little bit stuck, but these plates are still trying to move. And so it'll build up tons of pressure, but eventually the plates are strong enough that the force with which the plates are moving will overcome the friction of the two plates running into each other. It'll release and you'll end up with tons of energy released and you end up with an earthquake. Now, sometimes these earthquakes are so small that none of us really feel them or know they happened. Sometimes they're giant and catastrophic. This earthquake that has been prophesied of is apparently supposed to be a really big deal. Joseph Fielding Smith also prophesied of it, like Isaiah. He said the same things. He said before the second coming, there would be a huge earthquake that would level mountains and exalt valleys and make the rough places smooth. And he said it would be so intense that it, the earth, that the sun would be darkened. It would be such an intense earthquake that the sun will be blocked out. Now, this reminds me vaguely of the experience that the Nephites had, the Nephites and the Lamanites, before the Savior came and visited America. So the, the Nephites were having problems in the land, and there was a giant earthquake that completely changed the face of the land. And these Nephites and Lamanites found themselves sitting in darkness for three days, for 72 hours. And after these three days were up, the Savior came. Now, there's all sorts of things out there that are like, oh, Helaman is supposed to reflect our day, and the beginning of 3rd Nephi reflects our day, all of this different stuff, right? And so I would hope that someday, if I'm alive for this point, if there's a giant earthquake and there's all of a sudden crazy amount of darkness, I would hope that I remember this story from the Book of Mormon, that after the earthquake and after the darkness comes the Savior. And I've noticed this interesting pattern <laughs> that earthquakes and all kinds of forms, earthquakes, often happen before the Savior. Now, I think this is incredibly significant, especially when you consider the duality of Isaiah's prophesying. So when I say duality, 
when Isaiah prophesies of something or preaches about something, it often has multiple symbols. And we know one of the symbols or one of the things that he's preaching about here is that there's going to be an earthquake before the second coming. However, I think it can reach so far beyond that, that earthquakes happen before we are able to more easily come to know our Savior, before we can approach him and be prepared to invite him into our lives more fully. Now, there have been multiple times in my life that I have prayed to come to know the Savior better. And I have this desire to really know him, to not feel like I'm worshiping a stranger or feel like lip service, but that when I think of him, I can remember specific memories where I feel like I've been with him and he feels like a brother and it's not quite so abstract. I have prayed that I would be able to develop a relationship like that with the Savior, that even if I don't see him in this life, that I will know him so well and have had so many experiences with him that I just know. I know that he's real. I know that he's there beyond a shadow of a doubt. And I have only just begun to have this prayer answered. (laughs) It's very in the early stages. But once again, I have noticed a pattern that we face these earthquakes as we approach the Savior more fully. And sometimes they're temporal, right? Sometimes they're trials that are coming at us. Other times we face spiritual earthquakes. Now, I have never been in an earthquake that I felt. I think I've been in one earthquake. I was asleep. It was like five in the morning or something. I don't know. It was really early in the morning in Utah. I slept through the whole thing and it was really, really tiny. So I've never been in an earthquake that I felt, but I've been in other situations in my life that I would imagine kind of bring about the same emotions as an intense earthquake. And I want you to think about how life will change after this giant earthquake when the darkness comes, right? So just right off the top of my head, we will learn that money's not edible and neither are credit cards. We'll learn that the tallest buildings and the most stable structures are fragile. We will learn that our really cute decorations in our houses aren't so cute when it's dark. And we'll probably learn that Instagram and other social medias or whatever social media is happening then are not as cool as we thought they were going to be. (laughs) It will be dark for a long time. It will be quiet for some of us. I'm sure there will be plenty of wailing and mourning for a while, but I believe there will also be plenty of time of quiet. And if it's anything like what the Nephites experienced, it'll be 72 hours, which I think is really interesting that we are often asked to prepare 72 hour kits, hint, hint. So there will be very few comforts from the outside world, right? (laughs) If any, (laughs) what we will have is what's in our mind and what's in our heart and what's in our home, what's in our relationships. What will we find there? Will we find peace and happiness? Will we find love amongst us and, and the people that we are surrounded by? Or will we find that the things that mattered so much to us were empty? And maybe we, you're going to church all the time and you're trying to follow the Savior. You're doing all these things. 
but the things that occupy your heart and your mind the most, will you find and mourn how much time you spent worrying over them or how much time you even spent thinking about them when you realize how empty they are after the earthquake happens? I know I will. <laughs> now, there are plenty of soul-shaking experiences that we can have in mortality that can help us to wake up and realize how vulnerable we are and how vulnerable humanity is in general. And hopefully along with these soul-shaking experiences, we also find humility and soul-searching and refocusing of our lives. But I didn't want to talk as much about these temporal earthquakes. I actually wanted to talk about the spiritual earthquakes. The earthquakes, obviously temporal earthquakes and trials, earthquakes, can have spiritual effects on our lives. But I want to talk about the ones that are purely spiritual, don't have really any temporal aspects to them. These earthquakes can level mountains and exalt valleys and make the rough places smooth. Sometimes it leaves us a little shaken or sitting in darkness for a while. Sometimes they change the entire face of the land, of our testimonies, of how we view ourselves, how we view other people. And I call these epiphany earthquakes. <laughs> and they can, they can lead to a lot of unsteadiness for a while and confusion because things are not what they were before. And there's lots of triggers that can bring about these epiphany earthquakes, these spiritual earthquakes. So perhaps it is a new church policy. Perhaps it is the clarification of or the not clarification of specific doctrines. Maybe it is some history point in the church. Maybe it's that you meet a new friend who doesn't quite fit in with these categories that you've created in your brain about the gospel and the world and, and what people are like. Or if you're anything like me, <laughs> you have these epiphany earthquakes when someone you love leaves the church and you really get to face like this person seems happy they love the church trying to organize this in your head there will i would guess for all of us maybe not <laughs> maybe not everybody but i would guess that for a grand majority of us there will be a time when we deeply and painfully question what we believe when we can no longer sit with questions or maybe even doubts that we've had. We can no longer just sit still. Something has to occur in order for us to be able to keep living. And I want you to think once again of that earthquake. So we've got the two tectonic plates, right? They kind of run into each other. Sometimes we have these different perspectives or these different things that we believe run into each other and we can't quite make them fit very well. And they're still moving around <laughs> and we have lots of pressure building up and then something happens. The energy becomes too much and we have these spiritual earthquakes and we are forced to really take a look at what we believe. 
perhaps we'll feel shaken, as I said. Perhaps our specific aspects of our testimony will shift. Perhaps certain things that we thought we knew about ourselves or knew about other people will rearrange. Perhaps we'll have to sit in darkness for a while. (laughs) Sometimes the darkness comes after the earthquake. So don't be scared if you find yourself in darkness for a little bit. When it's a temporal earthquake, the sun comes out again. (laughs) Regardless of what humanity is doing, the sun comes out again eventually. In spiritual earthquakes, sometimes we have to choose the light and to let the light back in. And if you feel like you're sitting in darkness and you're trying to choose the light, don't feel like you're doing something wrong, (laughs) okay? Because sometimes the darkness is there for a reason. Don't be scared of it. (laughs) It's really uncomfortable. Lean into the discomfort. But continue to be ready to invite that light back in. Prepare yourself to let the Savior rebuild. I think when some of us feel some of that unsteadiness that comes from these spiritual earthquakes, when everything, when we get our footing again, maybe we try to rebuild things exactly as they were before because it's familiar. But there are many aspects in our lives and our testimonies and what we think we know about the Savior and what we think we know about the gospel of Jesus Christ that need to change. Because we're imperfect humans. (laughs) And the only way that these things can change is if they're torn down. And if we allow the Savior to rebuild the way that they're supposed to be built. The key is to let him do it, to recognize that the earthquakes and the darkness are blessings and miracles so that he can build this landscape of your testimony and how you feel about yourself and how you feel about him and how you feel about other people so that he can build it how he wants it built so that it can be accurate (laughs) and real and full and happy and peaceful. Like he is to let him rebuild it after the earthquakes. There will be things in your landscape, things that you think you know about yourself or you think you know even about the Savior, right? Things that you thought were so solid that you believed about the Savior that you have on this super high ground and you've built it up into these mountains that will suddenly be leveled. (laughs) Let the Savior rebuild it how he wants it rebuilt. Or maybe it doesn't need to get rebuilt. (laughs) Maybe that mountain is no longer serving you. Perhaps there are parts of your life right now or parts of, I don't know, aspects of your testimony or how you feel about yourself that you just don't feel like you can walk across right now. It's too treacherous to get through. It's a rough place that you can't walk through. Earthquakes can make those places smooth where you don't really have an option except for to walk through. And then there are potentially aspects of your testimony or yourself or how you feel about the Savior that are valleys. They're low or you feel like you're bringing them down or you just don't really like to go there. It's a low place. With earthquakes, sometimes those places can become exalted and those valleys become the mountains. And I think it's really significant 
that in Isaiah, when he talks about mountains, he's often talking about temples and other sacred places. And I think it's significant because these doubts or these questions that you've been carrying or these low points can become the sacred mountain because of earthquakes that happen in mortality. And I'm sure it's hard to picture that. It's difficult to imagine that these low points or these things that are might be grating on you. It's hard to imagine that they can become the mountains, that they can become these sacred points in your testimony or these sacred points, turning points in which you felt like you stepped closer to the Savior. But I can testify that if you keep your heart open so that the Savior can rebuild, those valleys and those low points will become sacred to you because you will recognize them for what they were, the stepping stones to getting closer to your Savior, Jesus Christ. It's difficult to imagine that. Know that you're in darkness right now, (laughs) and that's not fun. That probably doesn't sound very comforting. But when I think about the Nephites, I think even if they had been super, super righteous and the earthquake had happened, And they had prayed and said, please lift this darkness. I don't know that the Savior would have obliged. Because there is growth in that darkness. (laughs) That's what makes it so sacred afterwards. Because you have nothing to hold on to but your Savior. I am grateful for my Savior. (laughs) And in hindsight... I am grateful for my earthquakes. (laughs) I am grateful for the earthquakes that will come, even though I'll probably have to work through them. (laughs) I love my Savior. I'm grateful for the moments that have allowed me to get to know him. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.